Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you turn in your Bibles this morning to the 10th chapter of Hebrews. And I want to remind you a little bit about Hebrews before my friend Larry reads. Hebrews is a book that uh, was talking about, uh, basically addressed to, we think, probably some Jewish Christians in Rome. And they were being addressed because uh, it looked like they were drifting away. In fact, that is the theme of this sermon series, drift, drifting away. And probably drifting away because of maybe boredom or distraction, but maybe because of persecution. And they're thinking, you know, if we were just straight up Jews, we wouldn't be going through this persecution because Rome says Jews are okay. It doesn't say Christians are okay. So they've been converted to this Jesus Christ, but now they're beginning to pay the price. And they're thinking, all we got to do is take a couple steps this way and forget about that Jesus guy, and we're going to be okay. And so the first five, of the five chapters leading up to what Larry's about ready to read, notice that there's a therefore right at the beginning. And that therefore drags in the five chapters previous. And the five chapters previous are saying, this Jesus is a greater priest than any of the Levitical priests. He's a great priest. And it's also saying that the Old Covenant isn't nearly as good as the New Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant isn't what the New Covenant is under Christ Jesus. And so that's the power here. When you hear the therefore, that's what's being dragged in. Our Jesus is a great priest, greater than any priest. And also, the New Covenant is better than the Old. All right? Will you please stand in reverence to the Word of God as Mr. Larry Perry reads the Scripture this morning? Good morning. Uh, yeah, go ahead and tell them where it's at. It's, uh, uh, Hebrew 10th chapter, 19th verse through the 25th verse. Thank you. And the Word of God does read, Therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some ills, by exalting one another and so much the more as ye say, the day, see the day approaching. Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for your word, and even more, Lord, we thank you for our pastor. We ask even more that you bless him, lift him up, Lord, and may we hear the word that you have for us. We thank you for this day. We give it back to you, that you'll be glorified in the midst of it. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray and ask these blessings. Thank you. Wow, this is quite a verse. This new and living way, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. That new and living way made possible by the great priest, Jesus Christ. Incredible teaching. You know, we were in Israel, uh, some of us, uh, last January, and others of us have been in Israel before. You ever get a chance to take that trip? Probably ought to take it. Uh, lots to learn, lots to grow from. But uh, 
we eventually got taken up to the Temple Mount. And uh, when we were there, we were told that uh, some would go with us and some wouldn't. The Orthodox Jew doesn't go up there. And the reason is they take seriously this holy of holy thing. But somewhere up there was exactly where no one is supposed to go except the high priest once a year. Don't go there. Uh, and so they wouldn't go up there because they're not quite sure uh, where this Holy of Holies would have been. I mean, they think they know pretty much where it was probably, but the Orthodox Jews not quite sure, so he doesn't want to go anywhere near where that Holy of Holies was because he's not the great high priest and this isn't the time of year. And so they just wouldn't go up there. We, we don't want to tread too closely. We don't want, who knows, we walk right across it and wouldn't know it. God would not be pleased. Now, they approach Mount Sinai basically the same way. It's, oh, man, every time we approach Mount Sinai, we remember what happened on Mount Sinai. That is where the Lord met with Moses to give us these commandments, these 613 commandments of Scripture, and therefore we don't treat Mount Sinai lightly. Well, I like that. Let's not treat it lightly. But there's a whole other category of, therefore, we do not come close because of fear and trembling. And what this passage is saying is, because of Jesus Christ, because of his body and because of his blood, we can approach God boldly. Now, I don't think, Jason, stand up just a minute. I don't think that that means what we say is, hey, Jesus, oh, good buddy. I want to be careful with that, don't you? Jesus is not our good buddy. Jesus is not our homeboy. <laughs> he's the great high priest. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. But even so, we don't have to be scared of him. We can approach him. By the way, I love that passage out of Charles Wesley's great hymn, And Can It Be? Bold, I approach the eternal throne, dressed in his righteousness alone. Hallelujah. Well, what is that righteousness? Well, in, in fair measure, it's the body and the blood given for us so that we might enter a new covenant, so that we might know Jesus Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we might be able to live like him. Let me just say something about that dressed in righteousness divine. I think a lot of Christians take that all wrong. Listen, I, I went down to an altar one day and I got my ticket. My ticket to heaven. And I know that now that I have my ticket to heaven, I've been told I can't lose it. And so I'm dressed in righteousness divine. Someday I'm going to approach the holy throne and there's no way that he's going to be anything other than thrilled that I'm there. Not if you live like hell. Not if you say, I'm holding back. Not if you say, listen, he is God enough to get me to heaven, but he's not God enough to go ahead and take my finances and make them what he wants them to be. Whoa, I just stepped on some feet there perhaps. Well, look down at your toes and say, he, he's, coming. he's coming. Go ahead and look down at your toes and say, he's coming. he's coming. Because it's not just our finances, it's every part of our life. It's how we spend our recreational time. You say, listen. I get a break, and a break means I get to do what I want. Not if you belong to him. He's got a better idea about how to recreate you than you do. And I'm going to tell you, your ideas are not as good as his ideas. 
not for sex, not for money, not for power, not for recreation, not for your favorite football team. He's got a better idea than you do. Amen. I'm not saying, hey, right now, I say, ask somebody's name, who's your favorite team? Saints, that's a great name. <laughs> but what if you want you to root for the cop? Oh, ne never mind that. <laughs> I'm just suggesting to you, he wants to touch every part of your life. He wants to redeem every part of your life. And you cannot say, I'm dressed in his righteousness divine. And there's too many Christians say, because I'm dressed, the Lord's only going to look down, see that I'm dressed that way, and he's going to say, come on in. Well, the Lord's going to want not only you dressed in righteousness divine, he wants to say, did you let me touch you to the deepest recesses of your life and redeem even that? I think it was Abraham Kuyper that says, you know, the Lord looks down on this earth and he says, mine of every square inch. He says that most of all for your life. He says, that's mine right there, Miss Rose, that right there, every part of it, every part of your body, every part of your life, every part of your dynamic belongs to me now. Praise be to God. And that's why Jesus died, not just to cover you up, but to change you from the inside out. Do you believe it? Amen. I mean, yeah, go ahead and applaud with that. Yeah. Amen. Not just that I can be outside okay, but that can he, make, he can make me inside okay too. Now, there are some theologies going around today, even in this town, that says, you know, I'm dressed in his righteousness, but I sin every day in every way, and there's no help in it. That's <laughs> God says, no, 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 no. I want you to be complete as I am complete. I want you to be righteous like I'm righteous. I want you to be holy as I'm holy. I want you to know I can cleanse you through and through. Now, do you believe that? Amen. I want to know, do you believe that today? Because if we believe that, then we've got to say, then take it, Lord. Take it over. Take this whole life over and redeem every single aspect of my life. That's the new and the living way. You know, it's cool. I've often... Anybody here have been to Washington, D.C.? You ever been to the nation? Anybody here? Uh, now, if you go to the Senate, your senator, like uh, back in the day, I would have gone to Senator Trent Lott or Senator Thad Cocker and say, listen, anyway, you can give me one of them tickets into the White House. I want to go see the White House. You might get that, but if you go there and you don't see your senator and you walk up to them gates and you say, hey, I'm a citizen, Donald Trump's a citizen, we're equal citizens, I want to see the man now. How do you think that's going to go for you? Even if you get inside the White House, you say, hey, Trump here today? Oh, he is. Good. I want to be ushered in the Oval Office right now. I want to talk to the man. That's probably not going to happen for you. Hey, if you go to England, say, hey, hey, guy with funny hat, well, could you move over? I'm going inside. I want to see the queen. Not likely to happen. I'm just going to tell you, not likely to happen. You don't have that kind of access. I'm going to tell you about the new and living way. You have that kind of access. With the God who made Donald Trump, with the God who made Queen Elizabeth, with the God who made it all. You've got that kind of access. How cool is that? And that's the new and living way. But it was a way paved by his body and his blood. I'm going to suggest to you that ought to be enough. Anybody, I don't know if you ever heard of an author named Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning, anybody remember him? Brennan Manning, I think he's deceased now, but he, he's 
I used to have a youth pastor sitting there. Yeah, that's my favorite author. I love that guy. Great author, great thinker. Brandon Manning tells how he got his name, Brennan. So he used to have a buddy named Ray. And uh, him and Ray were just kind of raised with each other. Uh, they, they bought cars together. Uh, they went on double dates together. Uh, they went to school together. Everything they did was together. I don't know if any of you have ever had a friend like that. Uh, I've had a friend for, like that for a year or two. But how cool would it be to have a, a lifetime friend like that? You did everything together. You knew each other. He said, that, by the way, they even, one day, they enlisted together. They went to boot camp together. And then one day they found themselves in a foxhole together. In that foxhole one day, uh, Brennan is telling about some of the good times, reminiscing about our old days in Brooklyn. Wasn't that fun? And Ray's over there chewing on a chocolate bar. And all of a sudden a grenade is thrown into the foxhole. And uh, when it was thrown into the foxhole, Ray looks over at Brennan and he grins. And then he falls on the grenade. And he dies. And Brandon Manning lived. Now, years later, he became a priest. And they said, you need to name yourself. You're going to be known from now on because of a great saint. So choose the saint you want to name yourself after. And Brandon Manning said, I want to name myself after Ray Brennan. He's the saint. That saved my life. I, I like to name myself after that saint. Hence the name Brennan Manning. Interesting about that. One day, Brennan Manning was at Ray's mom's house in Brooklyn. And they were talking deep into the evening. And at one point, Brennan just kind of leans back and says, You know, I wonder if Ray really loved me. And his mother got so irritated, got right up, went over to the couch put her bony finger into Brennan Manning's face and says, what more must a man do? What must a man do, Brennan? Brennan says, in that moment I had an epiphany. I'm before the cross of Christ. And I look up and I see Jesus hanging on that cross. And I say, do you love me? And Mother Mary comes over and puts her bony finger into my face and says, what more must a man do? And folks, this is it. He bled for you. He died for you that you might know the new and living way. And you don't have to wait someday to be judged by God so that you can get into his heaven. He wants to say right now, today, you can live my life right in your workplace, right in your classroom, right in Clinton, Mississippi, the Jackson metro area, this very week. What more do I have to do to convince you of that? There's Jesus Christ. And so, there are three let us's that come from this passage out of the new and living way. And the three let us's is, first off, let us draw near. Yeah, let us draw near. First off, there's four things here. Let us draw near with a sincere heart. I don't know, I, I've heard some dispute on this, but I've always heard sincere comes from two words in the ancient language that means without wax. 
always kind of liked that. You know, Michelangelo would say they would, he would look at a piece of marble and he would chip away everything. Remember the great statue of Michelangelo, the, the, the King David? He'd look at everything that wasn't David and chip it away. They'd say, how do you do that? He said, I just look at it and chip everything away that's not David. I don't even know what that means. But occasionally, a great artist like that would make a mistake. Now, not Michelangelo. He'd throw the whole thing away if he made this mistake. But occasionally, you'd be, uh, and you nick it, and all of a sudden, the stone wasn't what you thought was the marble, wasn't what it, and a piece would come off that wasn't supposed to come off. And you're almost done with the thing. You think, oh, no. I got done with the great King David, and all of a sudden, I messed up his kneecap? So what would happen is they'd take some wax, and they make it look a lot like that marble so that the untrained eye couldn't see that there's a mistake there. And sincere means huh, without wax. That we come to him recognizing, yeah, I might have some chips here and there, but I come to him saying, I'm not trying to fake the Lord out. I come to you whole. Here I am. I know it's not much, Lord, but here I am. Take me. And the Lord says, that's sincere heart, and that's what I want. Someone willing to come and give me full allegiance. So first off, let us draw near with a sincere heart. Also, let us draw near with full assurance that faith can bring. Eh, this is a preacher story, but I want to tell you, it's grounded in some serious history. There was a Frenchman named Jean-Francois Gravelet, and uh, he was an entertainer. He was a tightrope walker. And so he, he decided to come to America because no one could pronounce Jean-Francois Gravelet. They did, he decided to take another name, Charles Blondin. If you want to know if this is true, just look it up on Wikipedia or whatever. It's, it's all there. But uh, he went there uh, and came to New York and decided, let me try to get everybody's attention. So he, he would put a tie rope from one building to another, and he'd walk across. You know, take one of them poles like they do and walk across. And you can imagine if you're in Times Square and you're looking up saying, yeah, you don't see that every day. That's what he was doing. He was trying to get everybody's attention. And he got everybody's attention. He became known as the famous French tightrope walker. So he, he kept trying to up the ante. What's the next great thing I can do? What's the next great thing I can do? What's and finally he said, all right, here we go. I'm going to go from one side of Niagara Falls to the other. And sure enough, he does it. They put a tightrope. And, and this is how the story goes. They put a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. And by golly, he does it. He goes all the way over. He ends up there, and there's a gathered crowd on the other side. And the gathered crowd, they, they, I've heard it said 10,000. Anyway, thousands of people. And they're shouting his name, Blondin, Blondin, Blondin. He says, uh, he says, do you believe that the great Charles Blondin can go back to the other side just like it came over to this side? We believe, we believe, we believe. He says, well, hey, how about this? Do you believe that I could actually take someone on my shoulders back over to the other side? Oh, we believe, we believe, we believe. You know what's coming next, don't you? Which one of you is going to volunteer to go back over? Dead silence. Yeah, we believe, but we don't believe that far. It's kind of like someone said to Stanley Jones once, hey, Sahib, I'm saved, but I'm not saved that far. Yeah, we believe. So that's faith. That's faith. That's faith. Now, as to whether this is actually true, John Oswald was preaching. My friend John Oswald, great Old Testament scholar, was actually preaching uh, in that area. Someone came up to him afterwards and says, hey, Charles Bond was my great, great, great uncle. He says, get out. He says, yeah, 
No one tells the rest of the story. He says, Charles Bonnet gets to the other side. He says, who's going to come on my other side? And he, he said, and, uh, and his manager decided, all right, no one else will, I will. And got on. And someone did go to the other side with Charles Bonnet. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine being that guy? Charles Bonnet says, okay, buddy, I know we've never done this before. If I were you, I'd stay very, very still. If you feel like we're going over one side or the other, don't you move. I'll handle it. And I'm going to tell you, if I'm that guy, I'm obeying every little instruction. You know what I mean by every jot and tittle of the instructions? I think I will obey because he knows more about how to get over the other side safe than I do, if you know what I mean. So that's what this means, is first off, we are going to draw close because we're going to have a sincere heart. And we're going to have full assurance that faith brings, that faith that knows no hesitation in trusting and following Christ. Also, how do we draw near with hearts sprinkled from a guilty conscience? This is interesting. I, uh, I got a friend that works at Nazarene headquarters. And uh, kind of a budding relationship. I, we haven't been in touch for some time now, but uh, John... Uh, last time we were together, we had lunch, and he said, you know, uh, I struggle with shame. I said, what do you mean shame? He says, I got a background that it's just hard for me to get over my guilt and my shame, and I'm going to tell you, Matt, there's a lot of people just like me that simply can't get over the past guilt and the past shame of their life, and they live in it every day. I live in it every day. It's tough for me to give it up. I'm going to tell you something, folks. <laughs> when you come to know the Lord, He wants to sprinkle you from your guilty conscience. You do not have to live in shame forevermore. I remember I was with a, a lady in the inner city where I was ministering when I first came here, and I said, I just kind of jokingly said, oh, shame on you. She looked back in my eyes and said, oh, man. I got shame all over me. Christ can sprinkle you clean from that shame. You can live without guilt. You can live. Yeah, someone's going to say, Matt, you have no idea what I've done in the past. You have no idea about my sin. You have no idea, Matt. And all I can say back to you is you are not bigger than God. You are not bigger than his body, you are not bigger than his blood, and you are not bigger than his water. And he wants to take his water now and sprinkle you clean. By the way, you Baptists out there, sorry it says sprinkle. I didn't write it, it's just in there, okay? But most scholars will say that's talking about baptism. Whether we're sprinkling or dunking or using talcum powder, I don't know. All I know is this, God can wipe the slate clean. Hallelujah. So we wrote this catechism. We wrote this catechism. Now, it's out there if you want it. And I use it with my children, and they've used it so much, it's like, ad nauseum, Dad. Man, we know these answers. We know. And our youth, before they're going to get the, uh, the award that they get at the end of the year for Carpe Diem, before they get that award, they've got to memorize certain parts of that catechism and eventually know it all. And uh, if you remember, I've told you this, but if you remember, some of those answers, questions and answers, I had to run past a theologian friend of mine. For instance, I put down, uh, what does God know? That's just like easy as it can be. He knows everything. That's why I put everything. I thought that's an easy question, easy answer. A kid ought to be able to wrap his mind around that. Everything. 
So what does God know? Everything. So I handed this to my theologian friend. You know what he does? He, uh, he, with red ink, no less. I just hate it, red ink. <laughs> with red ink, he canceled it out. And he says, God knows everything he wants to know. Now, I was going to humble myself and go ask him about that. What's that supposed to mean? You jerk. But then I thought about it. Remember what it says? Even in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, it quotes the Old Testament passage. Lo, I will remember your sins no more. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? You get up to the judgment seat of Christ, and he looks down at you and says, hey, I know you. And you're thinking, oh, no. I was hoping maybe he wouldn't know me. I don't know. You know, I'm dressed in righteousness. And stuff. I'm, oh, no, he knows me. And you say something stupid like, Lord, and you start bubbling forth, Lord, that one stupid thing I did when I was a senior in high school, I did it to that one person, and I'm so, so sorry, I'm sorry. And the Lord says, what thing? And you're thinking, oh. Not as smart as I thought he was. <laughs> and then the Lord says, Hey, Matt, lo, I remember your sins no more. You don't have to have a guilty conscience. You need to come to him, plead forgiveness, repent from your sins, and your sins are wiped out. You are made clean by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Yeah, you ought to have some hand clapping right now. Hallelujah. I don't think, don't clap for me, you clap for Jesus, amen? amen? And then our bodies wash with pure water. We can be clean before him. So first thing is, let us draw near. The second thing is, let us hold fast. Hope without wavering, let us hold fast to a faithful God. Uh, that, that inner city pastor I used to uh, be on staff with, he always used to say this, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, but the hardest one is hope. And, you know, I, I thought, well, I don't even know what that means. What are you talking about hardest one is hope? But the longer I've lived as a pastor, the longer I've lived as a professor, the more I see, boy, people have a tough time with hope. They have a tough time thinking that my best days are yet to come. They just do. Uh, you remember that, uh, that painting we used to throw up here for you from time to time? It's the woman sitting on a globe. I think it's uh, Frederick Watts actually wrote, uh, drew the painting. It's a woman sitting on a globe. And uh, she's blindfolded. Maybe she's blind. I don't know. I've never, never saw me. But she has a lyre, which is to say kind of a harp. And if you look at it, you think, man, that's, that's one pitiful picture. Here's this woman who looks to be so forlorn and, and, and pitiful. And she's sitting on top of a globe, and she doesn't have any strings on her harp. But if you look more carefully, and, and you know, I, I'd have to do this. I'd have to say, whoa. Yeah, there is a string there, one string. And Watts seemed to be saying, if you have one string left, you have hope. And all throughout the ages, Christians could say, I don't have many strings, but what I have, they belong to the Lord, and God can play a pretty swell tune on one string. Praise be to God for that. We can have hope. The other thing is this faithful God thing is, is huge. Uh, we were talking about favorite songs the other day. I was talking with Maureen, Maureen, and she was saying, yeah, I know Pastor's favorite song. I make her sing it from time to time. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You ever remember that song? Oh, I love how she sings it too. But she, I got another one that's a favorite that uh, I have her sing from time to time, and that is he is faithful. Oh, he's a faithful God. He's going to be there for you when no one else is there for you. He will be there for you. He's that kind of faithful one. So this, let us draw near, let us hold fast, and then finally let us stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. And let's not say, hey, it's not important for me to get together with the church or with my small group. No, encourage one another to assemble together. It's vitally important. First off, this word stimulate. The word is actually provoke. It's just put in such a positive way here. They say we can't say, hey, provoke one another loving good deeds. Say switch it up and you stimulate. Stimulate one another loving good deeds. I, I like provoke. I like anything that's a little out there, you know. Provoke. Hey, you need to love. Hey, quit being on the sidelines of this church and get involved in a compassionate ministry. Hey, you say, whoa, how dare he say that to me. I'm just obeying. Provoke one another to love and good deeds. Hey, he doesn't understand. I'm too old. Can I tell you something about retirement? Can I just throw this out there? Find it in the Bible. Find it in the Bible where it says retire. I tell you what, I'm going I'm to mess this one up. I promise you I'll mess it up. But I love two couples in this church, especially for their retirement. When these two couples retired, they just stepped on the accelerator. That would be Bill and Donna Durr and Basil and Dana Chisholm. They retired and they said, now, let's go. Boom. I tell you what, that's the way to minister. The retirement's not in Scripture. Don't do it. Do not Retire. Now, I you quit doing that dumb job of yours. That's fine. But retire means relax. Retire means, you know, I get some time off. Retire means, hey, let me do whatever I want to do. Stop it. You step on the accelerator like you've never stepped on it before and say, Jesus, what do you want with the rest of my lives? And I'm going to tell you, I don't know. I'm not retired yet, but it's coming. And as I see it coming, I say, oh, Lord, make me, <laughs> make me like Ron Niederhood, that crazy guy. Make me like him that keeps plugging into places and keeps doing things. Make me like Basil Chisholm. Make me like Donna Durer. Make me like these people that simply do not quit. They don't have it in their vocabulary. I just, this is what I always pray. Lord, if I got to die, I assume I got to. If I got to die, can I die preaching out to prison? Can I just fall down dead while I'm preaching? Well, you know, David said this morning, one of the things I like to do when I'm done preaching is I like to put my hands on every one of those guys, just go around the circle and pray for them. Lord, can I die? Maybe after the last amen, because I don't want this guy to feel bad that I died right before I put my hands on him. <laughs> but right after I say amen to the last guy, can I just like fall down dead there? What a way to go. Why would you want to go in a lazy boy? Why would you want to go taking your vacation in Cancun? I'm just saying, let my life count for something extraordinary. Let me be like Joyce Caracy, who just wants to say, listen, 
Let me invite these people into my life because I love them. I think I can help them. I think their best days are yet ahead. Let me be like that, Lord. I don't want to retire. I want to press on the accelerator like the best of day spring does. Lord, make me like Wayne Sellers. Woo! I got a vision for that place called Belize. Let me go and let me do my thing down there. I love it. Francis Asbury came from England. John Wesley says, okay, what nutcase is willing to go to America? Francis Asbury. Ooh, me, 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 me. So he sent him over here. Almost nobody was Methodist back then, 600 Methodists. By the time he died, several decades later, there were hundreds of thousands of them. Hundreds of thousands of Methodists. How'd they do it? How'd he do it? Well, I'm going to tell you how he did it. Let me tell you about his retirement. He retired right into faithful service. He never quit. He never quit. He never quit. You know what they do to him? He couldn't walk anymore. He got where he could ride a horse. So he'd ride in on a horse, and they'd grab him off of his horse because he couldn't walk. They'd take him in, and they would sit him down, and sometimes he'd lay down, and he'd preach the gospel. <laughs> He preached the gospel in a tavern. He preached the gospel out at hangings. He preached the gospel in churches. But sometimes they just had to prop him up and say, preach. When he was done preaching, they'd pick him up. They'd put him back on his horse to the next town he'd go. That's how I want to live my life. I want to go until, and he did. He preached the gospel to the moment he died. I'm going to tell you, friends, that's how we live this faithful life. That's what God wants for us. So it says, let us stimulate to one another to love and good deeds. Then it says, make sure to encourage one another by not giving up meeting together. Lisa had this accent. She was at the, oh, where, where is she? Where, hold her hands. Let's throw, throw up her hand real quick. We like to embarrass people as much as we can around here. So she, she's the one that, uh, look at her. She doesn't look that, too bruised and damaged, but the inside of her body is bruised inside her body is damaged, and she's having a tough time walking this morning. You know how cool it was for this pastor to have gotten that, by the way, I got that message in Mexico, and I couldn't access my, oh, something's happened. I finally got here, and Helen Smith had called me and said, hey, listen, Lisa Pipkin's at the emergency room. Well, that was like three days ago. I have no idea what happened because she walked into church today. She walked into church today having had a, an unbelievable accident and decided, hey, I'm a church woman. Church is what I do. I was talking with some pastors this week. You know what they said? What do you do with a group of people that think faithfulness is coming to church twice a month? If I just make it twice a month, that's good. I'm doing good. I'm a regular attender because I come twice a month. What do you do with the people like that? I said, I have no idea, but I got to tell you, I have a special love for the Lisa Pipkins in life that says, hey, I almost got killed on Wednesday, and I'm at church on Sunday. I love this woman. I used to know she had a baby on Saturday, and her and her kid were at church on Sunday. I have a special love for people who say, I'm taking a vacation. They take a vacation, but when Sunday morning comes, they say, hey, get in the car. We're going to church. Amen. Why do we do such a thing? Because we are church people. Because the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourself because it's that important. He said, well, I'm on vacation. I don't need church. 
Stop it. What if the church needs you? When are we going to get over this thing of what you are all about and start thinking, what is the body of Christ all about? What if they need me more than I need them? By the way, I think you do need them. I think in this church you need to come here regularly, not twice a month. I think you need to come, 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 come. I think you need to ask the pastor, why can't there be five and six Sundays in a month? I want to know. I'd like to have a board meeting and discuss that. Why can't we have five Sundays in a month? Why can't we have six Sundays? I want to know. We need to have a board vote on this because I want to come more. I think you ought to be involved in this. I think you ought to be involved on Sunday evenings. And by the way, when Sunday evenings, we meet out in the back and we have fun. I think you ought to come to that. I think you need to come and taste the pastor's chili. And I think you need to vote for pastor's chili. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Do I have a smile on my face? Am I giggling? Some pe- some pe- I, uh, what was that? I heard a snide remark. What was that? Hey, hey, what was that? Is it good? Is that what you said? Hey, let me tell you how, how good this is going to be. Miss Mary said, oh, our small group is going to get together on you. I think the pastor needs to have his own. So that may be an inkling of it's not good, and therefore we don't want you to mess with our reputation. But I really think, yes, it's going to win that night. Uh, all comers, come on, try, try. Everybody's going to get three marbles, and you can throw your marble. In. You can't throw your marble into your own group's chili, but you can throw it into anybody else's. Not in the chili. It might help my chili, but anyway, yeah, I'm just going to say, you need to come to stuff. You need to come to have fun. You need to come and pray. You need to come and cry. We need to be together. David Dewar was a... Uh, a pastor, and he says, uh, one of my firemen came up to me and said, you know, somebody said to me this week, he says, uh, I don't need the church because I'm not weak. I'm not weak. And uh, David Dewar says, you know, I think that's kind of funny that he'd say that. Because, you know, on the way to church, I went across about 20 city blocks, and every single block has a fire, exting- or a, a, a fire hydrant on every single block. He says, not once do I go by and say, you know, the people on that block are just weak. They're weak. There's a fire hydrant. They're weak people. He says, a fire station down there not too far from our church. Not once have I ever thought, you know, there's a fire station. If these weak people, this community weren't so weak, we wouldn't have to have a fire station. Weak. He says, that's not how we think about fire hydrants and fire extinguishers. How many of you pray uh, 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 pay property taxes. Those of you who didn't raise your hand will come up here and we'll pray for you that the law will stay away, okay? (laughs) But I'm going to tell you here, we pay property taxes. Not once I've ever paid my property taxes knowing that some of that is going to the fire department because we're weak. Now, let's go ahead and face it. We are weak. But even if we weren't weak, we would say fire hydrants and fire departments and property taxes does not declare that we are weak because we know this. There are some situations that come up in life that are bigger than me. And when that situation comes up, I've got to go and I've got to radically take care of the situation, but I'm going to need more than me to put out that fire. And that's why we have fire hydrants 
Not because we're weak, because we need each other. That's why we have fire departments, because we know there's going to be some situations that come up where we need some radical action. That's why we pay property taxes, recognizing full well, my property could have problems someday, and I'm going to need some people. So we do not forsake the assembly of weak people coming together because we need each other, don't we? And even if you get an attitude someday, ah, I'm not weak, I don't need them, maybe we need you. Could it possibly be that I need you? So I'm in Mexico City, and I'm thinking, hmm, hmm. I need to uh, wrap this up some way, and I don't know how. And so I was on the plane coming back, and I remembered. Soren Kierkegaard, the father of existentialism, a great philosopher that was a Christian, eh, kind of struggled with Christianity, but he always loved to write parables about the church. And one of his parables one day went like this. He says, imagine a community, and in that community there's a nice now, this is in the days when they didn't have big fire engines. They had wagons, and they had some water in that wagon. And so we're going we're gonna to take this down, and we're going to have a way. We're going to have a method, and we're going to have a way to get water into this fire situation. They got volunteers, but everybody loved this, this guy that was uh, in charge of the fires, in charge of management of the fires. Everybody loved this fireman. He was kind. He was gentle. He took care of kids. He loved to give nickels to, to those who were in need. He just he was a great guy. Then one day, he was at work, and someone came in and says, Mr. Fireman, there is a fire down at 10th and Main. And he says, oh, then ring the bell. Let's get the volunteers together. And so quickly, they got everybody on the wagon, and they start making their way down. The horse took them down to the building. And at this building, he's trying to get to the fire. He can see it. He can recognize this is going to take some radical action, but he can't get to the fire because all around the building are the people of the village. And they all have pails of water and squirt guns. And they're going, squirt, 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 squirt. And they see the firemen. They say, oh, hey. We knew that you would eventually get here, but we decided to help with what little we could. We all brought just a little so we could help out. Squirt, 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 squirt. And the fireman lost his sanctification. The fireman said, get out of the way. Get out of here. Get out of here. This is not a time for water pills and squirt guns. This is a time for radical action. We've got to put out this fire. Kierkegaard says this. And the church of Jesus Christ is all about squirt guns. When we ought to be all about radical action, taking care of the business that God has set us about to. And this is what the preacher of Hebrews says. It's time for us to understand the new and the living way. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a sincere heart with a full assurance, with hearts sprinkled, with our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to a hope without wavering and to a faithful God. And let us find ways to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And never let us say, hey, I'm not weak. I don't need that body. 
Hey, I'm on a fishing trip today. I don't need that body. Hey, I'm on vacation. I don't need that body. Or hey, two Sundays a month is faithfulness. Let us know that God is calling us to a new and living way. It's a radical way. It's a righteous way. It's a way that says, I want you in the fight like never before. And don't worry about persecution. It's coming. And when you suffer for me, I'll be right there with you. And our best days are yet to come. There's one string. God's saying, watch. Just watch. Watch me play it. Stand, Dayspring. Jesus, we lift up our lives to you right now. And we're asking for sanctification. We're asking that you will give us a sincere heart and a sincere life. By the power of your glory, make us holy as you are holy. Let us, let us, let us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen? Amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you.